Day. If you'd like more information about John's commentary series, visit MacArthurCommentaries.com. I'll take heaven for 100 points. All right, now the question is, how do you get into heaven? Um, be good. Ooh, sorry. <laughs> no. Oh. Oh, 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 recite Bible verses. Ooh, wrong again. The correct answer is, ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and trust him as your savior. Billy Graham. You don't have to know much when you come to Christ. You don't have to know the whole gospel. You don't have to know the Bible. You just come like you are. God offers all of us a gift tonight. It's something you can't work for. It's something you can't buy. It's something you can't earn. It's a gift. It's free. You can discover more about this free gift at findpeacewithgod.net. That's findpeacewithgod.net. We're the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Providing a safe environment for every person at the First Coast YMCA, especially children. It's essential to the Y's mission as a community-serving organization. Many of the employees have taken classes and have become certified guardians with the commitment to creating a culture of safety at all First Coast YMCAs. Find out how the YMCA can benefit you and your family at fcymca.org. WTRJ, Orange Park, Jacksonville, WAYL, St. Augustine, WATY, Folkston, Georgia, online at ilovethetruth.com. When Scott Kadersha came to know the Lord, he says he had a lot to learn about faith. Today on Making Your Life Count, Scott says mentoring was so very important in his growing walk with God. You know, it's growing up in an almost completely unchurched home and not having any friends growing up who were followers of Christ. When Will discipled me, everything was brand new. I, I needed somebody to do that for me because I'd never read my Bible. And Scott says his mentor played a vital role in helping him grow and develop in his new relationship with the Lord. He would sacrifice and spend time with me. We'd memorize scripture together. He you know, shared with me how to pray, how to read my Bible. And not just knowledge, but actually, you know, what does it look like not just to read God's Word, but to apply it to your life as well? Perhaps you can think of someone you'd like to ask to mentor you. Together, you can study God's Word and then apply it to your daily life. Good afternoon and welcome to SWAT Radio. It is Guest Thursday, February 29th. Only happens every four years, Jeremy, where we get the 29th of February. But that's a special day. And on this day today, we have Phil Johnson. Phil is the Executive Director of Grace to You. Uh, He has been uh, with John, uh, I believe, since the early 80s, maybe... 81, 82 time frame and uh, has edited most of John's books. He's also uh, been very involved with his own stuff with uh, uh, some websites. I don't even know if they're still around, but I know early on my first exposure to Phil was through a website called Team Pyro 
a long time ago, and then the Spurgeon Archives. And uh, he has come and uh, spoken at our SWAT training day here in Jacksonville. And he is a warrior for Christ out on the West Coast, which, man, if you're a warrior for Christ out in L.A., you are a true warrior. So, Phil, thanks for joining us today on SWAT Radio. Hey, thanks for having me, Doug. It's good to be with you. Yeah, I'm sure right now you are just a buzzing because you got ShepCon next week, right? <laughs> That's right. If I weren't talking to you right now, I'd be preparing my message for <laughs> uh, next Thursday. Yes, that's right. You're going to be sharing there. I am really looking forward to it. It's uh, this year's theme is Truth Triumphs. You know, it's it's hard to imagine many shepherds conferences without truth in it somewhere with MacArthur, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he that that is, and, and because he's all about the Word of God, you're all about the Word of God, and I, I've really appreciated that. And Phil, you know, you originally we had hoped to to get you on, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago. And as it turned out, you you were not able to join us. But it's really, I think, better today because I wanted to tap into some things that I know over the years you guys have had to deal with. In fact, um, even just not too long ago, I saw you on your um, social media having to deal with it again. But uh, I, I shared with you that uh, early on when the Chosen series came out, uh, because my wife and I, lead groups to Israel. I teach over there and I like the Jewish context of, you know, seeing the geography over there and going to those places. And at first I really was drawn to the cultural things they were bringing out about Judaism as far as like the history of the country and those things that a lot of times we don't know. But this week we have repented on air at my Bible studies last week. We repented because we really feel like there's so much error, not only with the series itself with things, but with some of the statements made by uh, the writer-director, Dallas Jenkins. And and we have had to um, no longer affirm it. We can't affirm it. In fact, we just say, you know, for us, we can't do that anymore. And, you know, I, I listened to John talk about Alistair Begg, and that whole thing came about because of a question that was asked and you know john said you know we're not going to throw out everything because of that he's had a long friendship with alistair he just kind of disagrees with him on this and i get that one of the questions i have for you as a guy who's really served as an elder there you've had to go through the COVID thing you've gone through all this when do we draw the line you know because we're always accused of infighting being hateful and not where do you draw the line of saying, you know what, I can associate with this brother, even though I disagree with him about this particular issue? Um, could, do you mind speaking to that just a little bit and, and y'all's philosophy out there, at Grace, and how you guys have been um, dealing with things as we get more and more exposed through social media and clips and things that come up? How do you draw the line there between, okay, this is a ministry we condemn versus this is a ministry we don't associate with, but you know, it's a matter of conscience. Do you know, is that, is that a fair question? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, the, the line you have to draw centers on the gospel. Uh, first of all, it's 
it's clear from Scripture that there are some doctrines that are more important than others. There are some commands in the law of God that are more important than others. Jesus scolded the Pharisees because they strained at gnats and swallowed camels. And uh, implied in that statement is is the idea that there are gnats and there are camels, and, and they're not equivalent. They're not exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he also said to um, Pontius Pilate that Judas's sin was worse than his. So again, it's not that all sins are equal, but there's there are degrees of sins. And in the same way, there's a hierarchy of important doctrines. Some things are more, more or less peripheral to the gospel, and other things go to the very heart of the gospel. And it would be easier if Scripture gave us a list of, you know, just a, a categorized list of absolutely non-essential doctrines. But it, it isn't revealed to us that way in Scripture. But there are things that are that are clear. For example, Paul in Galatians one pronounces a curse on anyone, he says, even if it's an angel who twists the gospel or comes with a, a different gospel, he says, let him be accursed. So that tells you right there, and the issue he's dealing with in Galatians is the doctrine of justification by faith. That tells you right there, that's a fundamental issue. That's a non-negotiable. Hmm. If someone twists the doctrine of justification to the point where, where you know, the gospel is changed, then you don't have anything to do with a person like that. And then the Apostle John in Second John says something similar, only he, he phrases it like this, uh, if anyone doesn't uh, goes beyond and doesn't abide in the doctrine of Christ, let him be accursed. He's dealing there with people who denied the Incarnation. Hmm. They were either saying that uh, Christ wasn't truly human or or that he wasn't God in the flesh or whatever. He deni- They denied some aspect of the doctrine of the Incarnation. And the Apostle John says, if someone comes to you like that, don't let him in your house. Don't even give him a greeting. Mm. You know, and then Paul starts out 1 Corinthians 15 with a list of things he says are of matters of first importance, which again tells us there are matters that are, that are of first importance as opposed to uh, other doctrines that are further down the line. And in 1 Corinthians 15 there, he's talking about the resurrection of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so uh, n- notice that all of the all of the doctrines that are specifically highlighted as essential have to do directly with gospel truth about the atonement, the deity of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, the, the doctrine of justification by faith. The closer you get to the heart of the gospel, the more important that doctrine is. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so it, it's still a bit subjective. You know, what do you do with the doctrine of hell, for example? Yes. Someone denies the eternality of hell or questions it. Does that disqualify a person from Christian fellowship forever? I would say it's important doctrine. It's a highly important doctrine, and that I would be also highly suspicious of anyone who wants to deny it. Would I sever fellowship with him? Not necessarily, because I know for a fact that John Stott, of all people, I know sort he of did waffled on on that. <laughs> yeah, he, so, he he did, and and I didn't J. I. Packer too as well a little bit on that or no? I'm, I'm just thinking of Stott. It may be just John Stott. I don't I don't remember reading that in Packer, but I, it is a tendency. It is a tendency, I think, of British evangelicals to really uh, sort of soft sell 
the doctrine of eternal punishment. Uh, Martin Lloyd Jones had a friend, a close friend, who, uh, who who denied that doctrine, and I think Lloyd Jones still considered him a brother, but he wouldn't have had him speak at a conference. Mm-hmm. And so there are there are degrees of uh, separation there as well. There are lots of people who I might embrace as a brother in Christ, but I wouldn't want him to come and speak to my flock because he holds some absurd ideas. But if it's someone who denies the gospel or denies a, a, a crucial aspect of gospel truth, then I, I'm forbidden to have anything to do with that person on a spiritual level. I mean, it's not, it doesn't mean I, I, can't, uh, I can't do business with that guy if he runs a grocery store or, or whatever, but it means I can't partner with him in any kind of spiritual endeavor. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's— fact, I think it, when— well, that's endorsement, right? You you certainly are not going to endorse him as a minister if you if you if you have that degree of disagreement with him. If it's that vital, you know, like a a, a core gospel issue, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And in fact, I think what uh, what the Apostle John means when he says, "Don't let him in your house and don't bid him Godspeed," he's writing to a woman who apparently was a, frequently a host to itinerant ministers who would come and she would give them housing and, and uh, you know, room and board basically while they were on the road. And he was saying, don't do that with someone who teaches a, a totally, who has a totally different idea of Christ, or they, they reject the incarnation of Christ. And what he's saying when he says, don't, don't give them a greeting, he's not saying be rude to them. He's not saying be unfriendly with them. He's saying you can't do anything that would indicate approval of that person's message or encouragement to the person himself. You can't mm-hmm. give them any kind of encouragement or approval. Yeah. Well, so that rules out partnership as well. You wouldn't, you wouldn't participate with them in a conference or, or whatever. Well, you know, in the, the gospel or not the gospel in the, uh, the letter Paul wrote to Timothy, you know, he calls out, uh, Hamenaeus and Philetus, uh, as people right. who've swerved from the truth, and they they were they were spreading an error, uh, uh, they were spreading an error about the resurrected bodies and that Christ didn't resurrect and that kind of thing, and and Paul calls them out by name. I, I just this past yeah. week I was asked about T D Jakes, and essentially if I you know T D Jakes from what I've heard that the, the things that I've heard him say does not believe in the Trinity the way the, the, you know, even though the Bible doesn't use the word Trinity, he, he, he believes basically that, um, that there's just three different manifestations of God, but they're not three. I mean, three persons, right? right? Is that right? Am I right in that? Uh, Cause I know you guys yeah, have probably that's exactly had right. That. Um, that's exactly right. It's a, it's a classic heresy known as Apollinarianism. Uh, he believes that uh, there is one person in the Godhead, and he manifests himself in in different ways at different times. So he would say that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons. It's only one person who shows himself in different ways at times. And that's that's a classic heresy. It's a denial of the doctrine of the Trinity. And, and so— What's confusing for so many listeners and so many people that attend church or attend Bible studies is you can you can go 
in you know Christian quote bookstores are the same sellers that are selling John MacArthur's books. We'll have a Joel Osteen book right next to it <laughs> uh, that has yeah. prosperity gospel and and one of the justifications people say, well, you know, it, it's why would they sell it if it's not true or if it's not good. You know, why would they have it right yeah. there And the same thing? How do you deal with that as a church? How do you guys deal with that as elders out there? Because I know that's a common question I get asked all the time. Yeah, well, we operate our own, uh, we operate our own bookstore uh, for that very reason. So, um, but, but, so, but, so but it comes sort of- up, right? I mean, it comes up. I mean, like how... How far, I mean, like, do you guys ever get asked about T.D. Jakes out there? Do you ever get asked about the prosperity gospels? and Or do you just kind of ignore it and just preach the truth? You know what I mean? Because these, these right. the, the, because of TV and, and social media, I mean, these are not people who are sitting back quiet. They're out there on the airwaves, very prevalent. And so does John regularly and do you regularly... Um, mention people when these things come up in scripture are you talking about false teachers or do you just because a lot of people have a problem when you start naming names like td jakes and joel osteen because they're very popular hello did i lose you i think uh yeah there yeah i think i lost you yeah i like i lost him No, I think I think we lost our connection to Phil on that one. Anyway, I was talking with Phil Johnson, and we're just talking about um, uh, talking about. Um, is he on? No, there he goes. He's calling back in. Uh, we're talking about um, T.D. Jakes and the fact that he, even though he's very popular, uh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't uh, believe in the Trinity. Uh, sorry, Phil. I think we we lost you there. I, I was just asking. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, go ahead. I think it was my fault. I'm sorry. I touched my hearing aid and that hung up the phone. So. Uh, well, I I just the the question was, do you know with guys who are very popular like that? Or, or I'll give you another one: Bill Johnson and Bethel. The whole Bethel movement. It is integrated yeah. into music and everything. How do you guys deal with their influence? Do, do you just openly do like Paul did with Hymenaeus and Philetus? How, how do you guys handle that? Yeah, generally when people ask, you ask if anybody asks us that. Usually people who are members of Grace Church, I think, have heard enough truth and, uh, and, and have enough discernment that they don't usually ask. But at Grace to You here, with our radio listeners, we get those questions all of the time. And so we, we try to answer as candidly as possible. And yeah, we'll identify people by name. Uh, if they're teaching a prosperity gospel, which is a different gospel, and therefore it falls under the, the curse that Paul gives in Galatians chapter one. So we'll be honest about that and tell people, no, that's someone you should stay away from. And here's why they've twisted the gospel. Here's what they teach. And here's what the biblical gospel teaches. And so we try to be as thorough as possible. Um, but yeah, I think I think you're obliged to answer those questions honestly. And you know, with Hymenaeus, you mentioned he he was apparently a significant problem to the Apostle Paul 
because Paul mentions him more than once. It's there's Hymenaeus and Philetus, there's Hymenaeus and Alexander, and in 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 every case, Hymenaeus is at the vortex of division over false doctrine. Uh, in fact, specifically, what he was teaching was a kind of preterism, the notion that all the all the prophecies right up to the resurrection have already been fulfilled, and if you've missed it, you missed it. Uh, so uh, Paul was Paul was emphatic on uh, writing him off and warning people not to have anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we, I think we ought to imitate that same level of clarity and boldness. Well, in in First Timothy, where Paul mentions Hymenaeus there and Alexander, and he says, I've handed them over to Satan. He uses the same phrase in Corinthians when he talks about the person who was in sexual immorality. Uh, unpack that a little bit for our listeners. What, If they were to read that, what does it mean these handed them over to Satan, that they may not learn, you know, learn not to blaspheme? Yeah, I think, I think that's Paul's shorthand for saying he has, uh, he's used his apostolic authority to excommunicate them. So it's a it, what he's saying is basically I've excommunicated them from the fellowship. They're not to come to the Lord's table. They're not to be regarded as brothers in Christ. Uh, he's he's reached in his thinking with them the point that Jesus describes in Matthew 18 when he says, you know, first you go and approach your brother privately. Then if he doesn't respond, you you go with another witness. And if he still doesn't respond, you tell it to the church. And if he doesn't if he doesn't you know, repent when when the church seeks his repentance. Ultimately, you treat him, Jesus says, as a tax collector and, a, a, you know, a, basically an unbeliever, hmm. uh, which does, again, doesn't mean that you, you have to be rude or unkind to him, but it means you don't regard him as a brother. He's not someone to be fellowshipped with or dialogued with. He's someone who needs to hear the gospel. Okay. And so... If you have any contact with him at all, it's to witness with him. It's to point out where his view of Christ is deficient and, you know, a corruption of the gospel. Well, a couple of weeks ago, you dealt with the question or you you made a statement on your social media about there was a guy, I think he had kind of an Arminian viewpoint. And uh, it was an Arminian Cal. You remember that Arminian Calvinist thing? Uh, and you made the statement, "Why would a rabbit Arminian pray for a Calvinist salvation?" You remember that that you you posted <laughs> yeah, yeah. that, um, and you said, "Doesn't he believe that God already has done all he can to save everyone? Simply each could could you unpack uh, what, that that whole idea there for a second because. This is kind of an ongoing thing with a lot of different people who are listeners and people who are engaged, who who really, they, they, they love the Lord, they want to learn, and there's confusion about the Arminian-Calvinist debate, and, and they even made, I think, didn't they say that Spurgeon himself uh, later in life contradicted Calvinism or said he preached against it or something in that, uh, that post? Yeah, I think they claimed that. That's not true, by the way. He was a Calvinist until the day he died, but uh, uh, he preached often against hyper-Calvinism, which is a different thing. And I think a lot of times uh, people who are thinking like Arminians don't don't really understand the distinction between Calvinism and hyper-Calvinism. They tend to lump them together, and they think every Calvinist is a hyper-Calvinist. 
uh, and all that. I, I understand the difficulty people have with that because I think most of us default to a kind of Arminian thinking until until Scripture reorients how we think. And for me, it was a study of Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul basically says to the Ephesians, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You, you had no hope. You, you were without hope, without God in the world, in bondage to sin, literally spiritually dead. And he describes a situation for which there is no apparent remedy. And then he says, but God, who is rich in mercy, raised us up. And when I realized that it was God's work in me that brought me to faith in Christ, not merely a decision I made, mm -hmm. then I'm, I'm forced to the view that God is sovereign in salvation. That's, that's the gist of what people call Calvinism. Uh, but it's not easy. It's not, it's not a sort of natural conclusion that most people would draw. As I said, Scripture has to bring you to that point. And so I'm sympathetic with people who haven't seen that or they can't see that. Um, and, uh, and I try to be the thing that one of the things that first troubled me about my own Arminian convictions, the belief that salvation is a choice I make. God has already done everything he can to save people, and now it's up to each individual to choose. Uh, when I realized, okay, but why then should we pray for the salvation of the lost? Because if God has literally done everything he possibly can to save people, and it's totally up to them now, rather than praying to God for their salvation, we ought to be you know, aggressively trying to persuade them. Mm -hmm. And um, and actually, both things are true, uh, that, that we ought to pray to God for salvation. Paul starts out Romans 10 precisely that way. He says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So he's praying to God for the salvation of unbelievers. And yet, in 2 Corinthians 5, he also says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Mm -hmm. Because that persuasion that's built into the gospel call, that is the instrument God uses to, to draw people to Christ. But ultimately, ultimately, our salvation is entirely God's doing. Mm -hmm. It's by grace through faith. Grace is something God does. Uh, and not of yourselves, he says. It's the gift of God, not of works. You didn't earn this. You didn't deserve it. You didn't make a decision that made you, that proved you were smarter than your neighbors. God is the one that changed your heart if you're a believer. And ultimately, you need to come to that realization and not take credit for your own conversion because you're, you don't get credit for it. Would you agree that the, let's call it the hyper Arminian view, uh, where, where a lot of people like to hang out, at least, uh, you know, growing up in the Baptist church, it seemed to be that way um, uh, in the in the 70s, 60s, and 70s. Would you agree that that view elevates the will of man above the sovereignty of God in, in the salvation process? Yes, in fact, I would, I, would say, I would say that's the key problem with it. Uh, it makes the will of man sovereign rather than... God being sovereign. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that I, I was just curious cause I saw you respond to that and, uh, and I was just struck by him saying that I, 
I don't think I've ever read anything in Spurgeon that would indicate he would go <laughs> against the sovereignty of God. Uh, you know, uh, I, I thought he was pretty clear on all those things, but you're, you're much more was. Yeah, expert on Spurgeon than I am. So I just wondered <laughs> what you were th- th- thought about. That. Yeah, no, in fact, I, I, I don't remember what it was the guy quoted, but I asked him to, to show me what Spurgeon said that he thought was an, uh, a renunciation of Spurgeon's Calvinism. And what he quoted actually was uh, Spurgeon's answer to a hyper-Calvinist mm-hmm. who was basically saying, look, the, the gospel is not for everyone. Uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't proclaim a repentance for the forgiveness of sins indiscriminately because what if God hasn't chosen that person? Mm-hmm. And that's hyper-Calvinism. You know, it's a, it, it's a detriment to our evangelism. And Spurgeon obviously objected to that and criticized it, but he wasn't criticizing Calvinism. He was criticizing the hyper-Calvinists who who wanted to even curtail the preaching of the gospel. Well, we live in a culture because of the Internet and because of social media where a lot of people get their theology not from the study of the Word, but from whoever's the most got the most views. <laughs> uh, would you agree with that in yeah, the current exactly. culture we live in right yeah. now? Uh, so no, that is, that is precisely correct. I've said that myself several times. Yeah. So as, as we, how are you guys kind of combating that? I know you do the ShepCon and you, a shepherd's conference and you do, you have grace to you, which is a great resource by the way, for our listeners. If you're listening, gty.org. But, um, how do you guys are, are um, I, I know you brought on, I think Daryl Harrison, Daryl works for grace to you, right? Uh, he did. He's moved now to where he's on staff at a church in Arizona. Okay. Uh, I, he I, was with us for five years. Yeah. He was with us for five years, but he's, he's now in, uh, on the staff of a church in Arizona. He, uh, but he, he handled kind of your social media, which I, I thought is great because he did, I know he posted a lot and I think just having a voice out there that's a little different, um, in, in trying to speak the truth. But, um, when we come back, because I know you've, you've, you've been very active in the social media world, at least from, you know, the Twitter and you, you, I like, I enjoy following you on Twitter and your comments and the things that you kind of either troll or get trolled on uh, those things. And uh, I, I'm just curious to what kind of uh, feedback you get. Have, have you been censored and stuff? we got to go to break here on the half hour for the news. But when we come back, I, I, I want to, I want you to talk about how you are using Twitter as a, a guy who, man, you got a lot of responsibilities and, and I know we got to be careful not to get too drawn in, but some of the ways that you're using it to try to be a light in that world and then to address specifically kind of what is, you know, going on with Alistair Begg from a ministerial standpoint, because people are wondering about that. And then even the chosen, it's so popular. Just speaking to that. Okay. When we come back. Okay. All right. We're going to be right. back with more Phil Johnson from grace to you uh, again. You can go to gty.org for more information. Great resources there. And gracechurch.org. He's an elder out there. 
And uh, when he comes back, we're going to talk about The Chosen, Alistair Begg, and more. Stay tuned to SWAT Radio. We'll be right back after the break. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Worries about inflation continue. The Federal Reserve's preferred inflation gauge increased in January. Prices were up last month, but the increase is smaller compared to previous years. Inflation has cooled, but many Americans remain frustrated. Overall prices are still well above where they were before inflation erupted three years ago. Behind the rise are higher costs for hotels, health care, and restaurant meals. A brighter spot is incomes rose. The report also showed consumer spending rose slightly, meaning Americans saved slightly more last month. The uptick in inflation has the Federal Reserve concerned about potentially cutting interest rates too soon this year. Ed Donahue, Washington. And more Americans applied for jobless benefits last week. Applications for benefits rose by 13,000 for the week ending February 24th, according to the Labor Department. Also at SRNews.com, President Biden and Donald Trump both on the southern border today, albeit about 300 miles apart, both addressing the immigrant crisis. Despite much colder weather, the largest wildfire in Texas history is continuing to burn. The wildfire that began earlier this week is still one of the largest in the state's history. It's burned down homes and businesses. Richard Murray is a resident living near Canadian, Texas. Still emotional. It, it's, it's, this is our life. I mean, we've been here for 50 years, and it's, it's, it's pretty tough. His home burned down, and he lost a few pets. I lost two dogs and two cats. Authorities have confirmed one death, an 83-year-old woman. On Thursday morning, residents in the region woke up to snow, but the Texas A&M Forest Service says the fire was still only 3% contained as of Wednesday night. I'm Haya Panjwani. And on Wall Street, stocks have been mixed. The Dow losing 22 points, but the NASDAQ ahead 88. This is SRN News. You know, you see a huge group of people, and maybe they're in line to do something, and they seem happy about it. You have to wonder, okay, what am I missing? What's going on here? What are these people excited about? Well, in this case, it's thousands of people, and they're joining MediShare. Why? Well, MediShare is a much more affordable alternative to health insurance. It's reliable, too. It's a well-run community of Christians. They've been sharing each other's medical expenses for more than 30 years, so it's proven. And if you switch, you'll likely save hundreds of dollars a month. Most members wind up paying about half what they used to. And you know what? They find they like it better. MediShare's member satisfaction rate is 98%. That's way better than health insurance, as you might imagine. You don't have to pay for things you don't believe in. You get telehealth 24-7. Huge freedom in choosing your doctors. At least check into it. This may be one of those things where you're like, why didn't I do this a long time ago? Why not start saving now? Call 844-55-BIBLE. That's 844-55-BIBLE. 844-55-BIBLE. 103rd Street westbound is a nice drive from the West Beltway past Ricker Road, Schindler Drive, and out to Normandy Boulevard. Coming off Blanding, Collins Road looks good past Rampart Road to Old Middleburg Road. Cloudy and breezy with showers tonight, low 57. A rainy and windy Friday near 76. With traffic and weather, I'm Tom Murphy. Son of God, hanging on my 
Hey, welcome back to SWAT Radio. It is February 29th, and it's Guest Thursday here. A big shout-out to all our listeners in Meridian, Mississippi, listening on WMOX and WMER, and on the Lighthouse up in Virginia, and all the truth stations here in North Florida, South Georgia. And uh, I'm happy to be joined today by Phil Johnson. Phil is the Executive Director of Grace to You. And uh, he is an elder at Grace Church, and he will be speaking, and I will see Phil next week at the Shepherds Conference, which is a yearly conference out in California. Uh, Is it put on by Grace Church, Phil? Yes, Grace Church. Uh, Grace Church puts on that conference for pastors. Unbelievable thousands and thousands of, of leaders and pastors come from all over and Phil is going to be uh, a speaker this year. He does breakouts, and uh, he has been there for a while. And I, I was um, uh, just real quick, you can go to gty.org. That is the website that basically has, gosh, do you, do you guys have every sermon John's ever done on there? It's <laughs> just about it. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. There's more than 3,600 sermons there. And uh, and other resources, a great, great website. So thankful for what you guys do, Phil, and, um, and and that you put that stuff out there at no charge. You're not you're doing it to minister to people and help them have the truth available to them. And people from all over the world are ministered to by that ministry. And I, I thank you for all the the work you do and for editing the books. It's really, really, John's uh, put out a lot of good, helpful material that has uh, been very helpful in my life that my men have experienced um, uh, and encouragement from. And uh, you've been there for, for a while. And I was talking about your social media because I started following you a few years ago. And um, I, I like it because it's short. It's, you know, you get just, you just put stuff up there. Like for instance, um, you know, uh, things just pop up random when somebody replies something you posted back three years ago. Uh, like, uh, yeah. Johnson's critical of anything that draws Gen Z <laughs> and you you respond to it. No, just the emerging church, Driscollism, Jabez, all that stuff. And so you, you, you know, the fad stuff. And, and so you can constantly be seeing stuff and it's a voice out there in a world, um, which quite frankly, I know there's a lot of people on Twitter, but there's not a lot of people that are putting truth out there on Twitter. So, uh, it's nice to have that. In fact, you, I think you said one where you, you referenced, uh, a lecture by, um, I love lectures to my students by Spurgeon, the blind eye and the deaf ear. And you said that would be a good thing for people that are on Twitter to look at and maybe read, especially pastors, (laughs) right? That's right. That's right. Can, can you, uh, uh, unpack what is the blind ear, a blind eye and deaf ear about? Yeah, Spurgeon's saying that if you're in ministry, you need to cultivate uh, a, a blind eye and a deaf ear, That meaning you don't need to see everything and hear everything. And in fact, there's advantages to uh, not hearing all the criticism that's aimed your way. You don't have to answer everything you disagree with. And he wasn't even dealing with the Internet. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, you've seen you've seen those memes on the internet where some guy's sitting there late at night and he says somebody's wrong on the internet and I have to fix it. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, I think there's a tendency for those of us who who do use social media a lot, tendency for us to think like we're we're obliged to respond to everything that is either critical or erroneous that we see. And uh, Spurgeon's saying, no, you're not. Even as a minister, you, you don't have to you don't have to hear everything and see everything and respond to everything. That's that's I think it's really good and counsel. So he develops it even better. He goes on to say, you know, that you don't even need to hear all the praise that is said about you because it'll puff you up. You'll have pride. And you certainly don't need to hear all of the criticism that is said about you because you shouldn't be obsessed with that. You should just, you know, you, your your audience ultimately is the Lord. And your goal should be to please him, not to please people. So you just don't need to listen to everything people said. Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a really good word. Well, how have you guys at Grace dealt with the Chosen series as it's grown in popularity um, out there? Because it, it continues to grow, uh, at least around here it does. And I'm just curious how you all are dealing with it there. Yeah, we do get a lot of questions about that, of course, from listeners and radio listeners who who either like the series or they've heard negative things about it and they want to know. And, uh, you know, so they'll want to know what are our thoughts. And our thoughts are I, I've yet to see any dramatized version of the life of Christ that I thought was good. And some are really bad. Uh, and even the best ones, they, they because you have to fill in. Uh, details that are not given to us in Scripture. You see uh, facial expressions on the person who's playing Jesus, and if that's what forms your opinion about how Jesus said this thing or what he did in between the verses that we have in Scripture, you, you're, you're actually building up a, a, false, a false idea of Jesus. That doesn't come from Scripture, uh, and, and I think too many people get attached to the the portrayals of Jesus that they see in, you know, dramatic presentations or even pictures on the wall. I'm not a fan of uh, pictures of Jesus. I mean, the second commandment was don't make graven images. Don't, don't try to make an image of things that are in heaven, especially because you, you can't, in the first place, draw a, an image of God that would be accurate. Uh, but you're not even supposed to make images of angels and things like that. Um, because what it does is plant ideas in your mind about spiritual things that you didn't get from Scripture, mm-hmm. and that's never a safe thing to do. It's not always spiritually fatal either, but it's just not a good idea. And in the case of The Chosen, I, I think some of the criticisms that have been leveled at it are are totally valid. The, the idea that they've they've written that series to try to accommodate Mormon ideas as well as you know, evangelical Christian ideas, biblical ideas. Mm-hmm. And once you start doing that, once you're more concerned about what your constituency wants to see than you are concerned about what Scripture actually says, uh, you've, you've crossed a line that is extremely dangerous and, and, and almost always bears evil fruit. So, yeah, bottom line is we don't recommend the series. Okay. Well, I, I just was curious because I, I know as a ministry, you probably deal with it. And 
I know as a ministry you have dealt uh, or probably had to deal with the Alistair Begg. In fact, I heard a um, John the other day respond to a, it was a Q&A, I think, at his church. And by the way, uh, I, kudos to you guys as elders. I mean, how old is John now? Is he 83, 84? 84, about to turn 85. 84 years old, 85 almost, and he still, <laughs> I mean, Q&As are tough, right? They're just tough because you never know where, where it's coming. You never know where they're coming from. And uh, and he gets up and, and throws himself out there to just take anything. And people ask this, and, and then he and Alistair are good friends. I mean, or they've known each other a long time. I don't know how close they are, but I know he has spoken yeah. for him a long time. And so uh, that's it's a, it's a pretty big thing out on the internet what's going on with Alistair on this and I I loved his response I thought it was great how he responded um and I know you and John you know you don't agree on everything but how are you personally handling this with him with grace to you I mean uh you know as far as Alistair has been a faithful pastor but a lot of people think he's really off on this and they're surprised at his response to the call for a recanting of it. Yeah, you know, I, I've known Alistair also for 40 years, and I love the guy. He's a sweet, he's a sweet individual. His personality is is always warm, and he's just one of these really likable people. And he's a he's a decent Bible teacher as well. His preaching is uh, he's a good expositor, and you know, as long as he stays in the text, he's great. I thought the thing that kicked off this controversy, his answer to a woman who wanted to know, should she attend her, her grandchild? I don't know if it's a granddaughter or grandson, grandchild who was having a wedding to a transsexual. Uh, so it was a perverted situation. And Alistair said, yes, go and take a gift. You know, uh, that's, I think very bad advice because participation in a wedding always indicates approval. I mean, it used to be a line in the liturgy where the pastor would say, uh, if anyone here knows of any reason why this couple should not be married, speak now or forever hold your peace. Uh, they don't usually say that anymore, but the, the sense of it is still there, that by attending a wedding, you are indicating your full approval of what's happening. And I just don't see that a Christian can do that at a sort of sham wedding where you've got either homosexuals or transsexuals or, or someone whose who's wedding really is not a true marriage but an abomination. You can't sit there and do that. And I understand the, the tension when it's your own grandchild. You don't want to, you don't want to uh, shun that person forever. You want to, you know, bring them to Christ and show them love. So the question boils down to what is the best way to show that person love? And I think Alistair gave a wrong answer. Hmm. And, I mean, I, we've all given wrong answers to questions at times. And John MacArthur's line about it was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to judge anybody based on their weakest moment. Mm-hmm. So, so we, we wouldn't write Alistair off uh, on the one hand. On the other hand, I think it is a serious problem that when, when he was – questioned on this and given several reasons why that's not a good answer his response was to double down so i still hope he'll change his mind i i i wouldn't 
it's, it's not the kind of thing that would cancel my love for him or my my friendship and affection for him, but it it did put an end to his participation at the Shepherds Conference. Well, year. yeah, I saw his, no. his own. I, I, that was yeah. by his own agreement. Yeah, I saw that. I, I saw that, and he, but he was also he was canceled by several radio um, networks as far as his carrying his program. And I, I, were you surprised by the response to to the people by calling? His yeah, by the- yeah, by his response to the the people calling for him to recant. I mean, uh, I was taken back by it. I just wondered if you were, because you've known him a lot longer than I've been exposed to him. Yeah, well, let's say I was I was definitely disappointed in it. Although, you know, I've been I've been backed into a corner by people who didn't like something I I posted, and and I have to say I think it's a normal tendency of the fallen human mind to want to defend yourself before you actually honestly consider your critics complaints. It's a, it's a sin we all need to mortify. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I understand why he responded the way he did. I think, I, I think it was just a knee jerk sort of self-defense and I still hold out hope that he'll think it through carefully and change his mind. Um, so I want to be charitable to him in that, in that sense and not, not just write him off precipitously, but you know, until until he clarifies it, I think it is going to hinder his ministry, and that's an unfortunate thing for him as well. But um, no, I wasn't re- I wasn't surprised that people who heard that he had said that responded the way they did. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it, it's a difficult question that all of us need to be prepared to answer because it's becoming more and more common with the secular push to try to make things like transgenderism popular, you've got a whole generation of kids who were indoctrinated with postmodern values who think that's the way to be cool. That's why we have so many transgender people now. They're, they're actually encouraged to even think that way, to think that they're trapped in the wrong body or whatever. And so uh, it, it's not a popular opinion these days to say, no, that's that's a sinful perversion. It's not it's not how you were born, mm-hmm. um, and if you say that, you you you, you will you run the risk of being canceled just for saying that. But in the evangelical world, I think most of us know enough basic biblical truth to know that that is a perversion and it's not acceptable under any circumstances. And if you say in the evangelical realm, yes, you should go and celebrate a wedding like that and even give a gift to the people who are marrying one another. That's likely to get you canceled as well. And so <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it's a shame from Alistair's perspective that he put so much of his ministry at risk with a, with a wrong answer to a, a question that really shouldn't be that difficult. Well, and it, but like you said, it is a question that we are going to have to wrestle with because the culture around us kind of throws that to us. And as leaders— it, it's really important for those who are like grace to you. Like you guys have thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that look to you guys because you put out biblical truth. And so if you put something out there, just like Alistair put something out there, it carries a lot of influence 
And that's, to me, the damaging part and the responsible part. And that's one thing that I've always appreciated about Grace to You and even John. I mean, we know John's flawed, you're flawed, I'm flawed. We're all human, but your your commitment is to truth. And I even heard, I was going to ask you about Together for the Gospel uh, or, or the Gospel Coalition because uh, somebody shared with me the other day that they heard John say, well, that's not the best that thing now or some, I, they listen to something, you know, everybody listens to things and they, they pick up on these clips, but we're talking about discernment this week. That's been our theme for the week. And, uh, it together for the gospel, didn't John start off with that ministry? Didn't he start off doing stuff with them? Yes. In fact, I think he spoke with together for the gospel right up to their last national convention. Uh, Maybe maybe he wasn't at the very last one, but he was at most of them. Uh, and and you know in general we loved that organization. I think they kind of derailed a bit in 2018 when they they sort of jumped on the bandwagon of the social justice movement mm-hmm. and more or less uncritically embraced uh, you know what secularists would regard as social justice. Uh, and and really didn't do the critical analysis that's necessary to compare that ideology with what the Bible says is justice. You know, biblical justice includes the truth that if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat, Mm. and that, you know, uh, uh, if a person takes someone's life, he should pay for that with his own, own life. So crime and sin should be punished. You don't hear any of that with the you know, contemporary social justice. In fact, it's the opposite. Mm. So social justice, as most people use that term, is a twisting of true justice. And I and I think T4G sort of dropped the ball in their dealing with that because they didn't really do the critical analysis necessary. And uh, But I think the plan from the beginning was for T4G to cease operations after a while, and so they basically have shut down. The other group, the Gospel Coalition, I think they've been going off the rails since really around 2012 or 2014. Uh, And in a similar way, they've they've moved away from a focus on the Gospel, as Scripture presents it, repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and they've shifted their message to all these social issues, social justice. Uh, so many of their articles that they publish online are uh, reviews and exegesis of popular culture. They had an article not long ago uh, about, you know, things we can learn from Taylor Swift. And oh my gosh. <laughs> literally, literally, uh, literally made comparisons between Taylor Swift and her ability to draw crowds, and I think John the Baptist and and the people who came to see him in the wilderness, oh, just silly stuff like that, that I think takes people's focus off a biblical understanding of the gospel, and yet gospel is in their name. And the more they do that, the more the more troubled we are with the the drift of that organization. Yeah, well, just because they have gospel in their name doesn't mean as much as he used to, right? I mean, it's uh, kind of kind of kind of going away. Well, well, we have we have about 5 minutes or so left and I I want to get back to the Shepherds Conference uh because you're a part of it and it's been uh, I it's I think it it's been around for for quite a few years. 
tell listeners who don't like they don't know anything about it but like what's the purpose of it like what is the drive as you guys as speakers when you come in i know you understand you 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 all have a commitment to it what is the purpose of the conference itself it's a gathering of pastors and church leaders elders and pastors and churches who come uh and so it's a they're all men you know 5,000 or so will be there this year. Uh, And so the messages are directed at pastors and church leaders dealing with issues that they grapple with. Uh, And like you said, this year, the theme is truth triumphs. Uh, Just sort of making the point that no matter how bad it seems the world gets, we know the end of the story because Scripture gives it to us. And in the end, Christ wins, truth triumphs. And so it, the, the point this year, I think, is to be an encouragement to pastors who are feeling beleaguered because it seems like the world around us is melting down. And, uh, you know, even, even the most basic moral issues have been compromised by governments and school boards. And, and it just seems like the, the direction our culture has taken is so wrong and yet so overwhelming that what is there that we as pastors can do to to change it? And so the idea is just keep preaching the truth because ultimately we know that the truth is what triumphs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that'll be the message. And each speaker is assigned a, a suggested passage to preach on. Mine is from one of the epistles of Peter, and my theme is supposed to be... Um, on persecution, the triumph of persecution, how even though it's promised that we will suffer persecution, those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, uh, that's not a defeat. Uh, in the end, it's a triumph. Okay. Well, is is James Coates going to be there, uh, the guy from Canada? I be- yeah, I believe he is. Yeah, he, he is a guy just speaking about the, the persecution stuff who – who was arrested up in Canada? I, I just remember uh, him. Be, he's a isn't he a grad of masters of the masters seminary? Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be out there. I'm I'm looking forward to to being out there with you guys, and um, and I'm just thankful for all you do at Grace to you. Again, if you would like to support gty.org, just go there. Gty.org. It's you can download sermons. You can listen to sermons. They've got other resources. They've got other things that you can do. You can donate. Uh, Phil, talk just in the last minute or two here. Like, you guys have a commitment to get the truth out, and you do it without cost, right? I mean, there's no people download sermons. They can listen to anything on there, any of those messages. And who pays for all that? The people who are ministered to by donations, we uh, we do as much as we can for free. Uh, the the only thing on the website that's for sale are some of the books that mm-hmm. we have to pay publishers to get. So so we do that. But if you're on our mailing list, uh, we offer a free book or resource of some kind every single month. I was doing the count because I'm, I'm we're offering another book in. March, and I was looking back over the past 40 years that I've been here, if you've been on our mailing list that whole time, you would have two shelves full of books that you got for free from our ministry. <laughs> so, uh, 
and we we love that. I mean, our, we exist to to spread Bible teaching as much as possible around the world, and um, listeners who are ministered to by what we do then want to participate with us in in helping others, and so they are the basis of our support. It's not it's not somebody with a whole lot of money who gives us millions at a time, but it's it's. 